Welcome to Growth NZ Podcast, where we speak to entrepreneurs and experts and reveal their ideas, innovation, and execution. To get show notes and exclusive content, go to growthhq.co.nz. So who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Trent Rankolo and I'm the Chief Product Officer for Trading. Awesome, awesome. So New Zealand's biggest website and uh, what, what does the Chief Product Officer do, Trent? So that's a very good question. I get asked that a lot. Um, so I guess I've got ultimate responsibility for the quality of the product um, at Tradesme and the way we think about product here is I guess the functionality and user experience that we provide to the buyers and sellers and advertisers and other stakeholders. Um, and that's across all the different platforms that we have and, um, and it's about how we package and price that functionality as well. So while I don't have day-to-day responsibility for, for example, trading property or trading jobs, I've sort of got this oversight um, function, which, is, um, which means my job is a lot fun. I get to kind of dabble in whatever takes my interest across the whole trade me and portfolio of companies. It's, it's good fun. Well, you get, you get to use a lot of whiteboards. <laughs> that is true. Whiteboards <laughs> and post-its. Everyone loves a good whiteboard. So your background is, um, you know, optimal experience. Many years ago, you were one of the co-founders. Um, right. You know, people do people misunderstand the kind of, you know, the digital experience and how that's changing, or is it, you know, is that a misunderstood term, just like product is? Probably. Yeah. So a lot of these, a lot, a lot of terms actually. When you think about it, entrepreneurship, innovation, user experience, all these terms are pretty stretchy. Um, so yeah, sort of started that company up um, with a couple of good friends of mine uh, way back in late 2002. Um, certainly back then, um, well, usability as we called it back then. Life started out. Our company was named as Optimal Usability, but we eventually changed to Optimal Experience, to sort of better suit the times. Um, but yeah, people didn't really understand um, what that term meant um, uh, back then. But but gradually, more and more people came to accept it as a standard part of, I guess, delivering really good. Um, and products and experiences and to do user research and stuff. So, so yeah, that's the trouble with these stretchy terms. But to be fair, I mean, it's it's not like you know, the internet itself is really a teenager, right? Kind of yeah, it's early days, eh? Yeah, can't speak too much yet. And and until I, we're still really early days, and I tell myself that a lot. But um, you know, what 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 have you seen change, especially around around mobile? You know, recently my experience is that everyone's just adapting. To, to to their digital environment and now mobile's coming steaming over the hill to um, potentially throw a cat among the pigeons. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we all know it, right? You get on the bus and, and everyone's sort of, um, you know, heads down on their, on their iPhones and their Androids and all the rest of that. So, um, yeah, the growth of, growth of mobile is obviously exploding. I think one of the really interesting things is, is that it's, it's sort of um, speeding up uh, innovation in general. I saw, saw a graph recently, which was, which is pretty interesting. It was um, Match.com and OkCupid um, and all the other sort of major online dating providers in the states versus Tinder and sort of the, the growth. And you sort of see, um, you know, the, 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 the granddaddies of online dating sort of bubbling along and doing all right, and then all of a sudden they completely tank and you see Tinder just explode. Um, and then the really interesting part about that graph is the, the gap between you know things going okay and things, you know, the market share completely dropping away for the for the big guys is a gap of 200 days. So um, I think that's one of the things that, that mobile offers is that, that kind of um, that, that hyper speed, I guess, um, innovation. So pretty interesting times, good fun. 
Yeah, do you think do you you're looking around at the landscape now of you know the the large media businesses the the, the biggest players in New Zealand in terms of online and retail and stuff like that. Do you think you know everyone's prepared for that? You know, because you, you can get disrupted by anyone coming along out of anywhere, can't you? Do you do, do you think these businesses are, are approaching in the right way? Um, oh, I don't know. It's, it's a very broad statement. I think that different businesses have got different um, struggles. Obviously, there's a lot. Um, written about, um, you know, the innovators' dilemma. And, I mean, we've got that to a certain extent here at Trade and that we've got a marketplace that's been around for 16 years um, and does very well. But how do we, um, the challenge for ourselves is how do we, we're the incumbent now um, in a lot of ways. So how do we disrupt ourselves? So I think different different businesses, um, you know, are looking out to different horizons uh, with different levels, I guess, of, um, of appetite for innovation. So I think the innovation is an interesting one in the sense that um, it's, and implies failure, right? You've got to have a pretty healthy attitude towards risk and, and failure. If you're going to innovate, you you need to place some bets and you need to do some things wrong or make some mistakes and trip up. Um, which is why I think actually it's really interesting to see what Sparks um, done. I've spent a little bit of time with the Spark Ventures team last year and, and um, you know, they're placing some pretty big bets. And Spark have realised that they can't keep squeezing every dollar out of um, you know, uh, lions going to people's homes. So they're trying to um, invent the future with a bunch of different ideas. Uh, Lightbox uh, is probably the one that's sort of been given the most press. And I think it's um, really gutsy, really interesting calls and, and we need more of that kind of corporate venturing style uh, entrepreneurship entrepreneurship in, in New Zealand. So yeah, it sort of depends on the organisation I think as to whether or not they are out there and, and really trying to shake things up for themselves. Yeah, with, with, with Spark, I'm not, I'm, I'm not directly familiar with it, but it, it appears that they've, they've done the kind of compete with the core business by by running an external team kind of thing. I mean, that that's a different approach compared to, as you said, you know, competing with yourself internally. How, how do you approach it at, how do you approach it at Trade Me? Um, so we've got, um, I guess, a bunch of different ways that we try and um, push push the limits. So um, we've just closed off our, our strategy round, um, which I obviously can't talk too much about um, being, being a publicly listed company, but um, so that'll come out in time. Um, but we're certainly considering sort of um, pretty innovative big bet plays, sort of Horizon 3 stuff, if you're uh, familiar with McKinsey's 3 Horizons. Um, but we sort of do it on, on, on levels big and small. So, um, for example, in, in a few weeks we're doing our FedEx Day, which is something that we run a few times a year. Uh, you might have heard of it from um, Atlassian's concept of, you know, you've got 36 hours between coming up with an idea and, and kind of putting together a group of people and then... Um, yeah, presenting back 36 um, hours later on what your idea is, and the idea being the, the ship it, hence kind of the FedEx Day, um, the name. So, yeah, we sort of try those kind of things as well to try and innovate, um, you know, put together small teams to try and do stuff real quick over, over a virtual period of time, sort of start up weekend style, if you kind of get involved in any of that sort of stuff. So, we do that internally as well. So, um, yeah, but it, I mean, it is, a, it is a challenge, a company of our size to, to innovate, but there's certainly um, parts of the, the trade me um, portfolio, which are incredibly interesting, very fast-growing companies. Um, so we've got Stake in Harmony, um, a peer-to-peer lending platform. Life Direct is a, um, is a fascinating business too, very high growth, very interesting uh, company. So um, yeah, we've got a, the good thing with trade me is that we've got all these um, wonderful pockets of innovation alongside perhaps some of the more uh, long-standing businesses. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Trade Me's made a number of acquisitions over the last few years. Um, you know, those teams internally are they do they have autonomy to run their own their own product, or do they are they just there to leverage the network and and the experience? 
Um, so it sort of um, it depends on the on the organisation. So for example, Life Direct has has sort of kept um, uh, a little bit more arm's length. They're based off site. They don't sort of have the same reporting requirements. We basically uh, uh, acquired them and didn't want to break the good stuff that they had going on. So um, while they certainly have the office um, plenty to to kind of talk through ideas and and, and work um, closely with us, we have deliberately kind of kept them arm's length. Um, whereas other acquisitions, not so much. So, uh, for example, MotorWeb is, is you know, part of the team, and um, and as, as for autonomy, it's um, we've we've got sort of the squad structure. I don't know if you're familiar with um, the way that Spotify um, is set up in a, a white paper on their own in terms of structure around squads and chapters and tribes and things like that. And we've kind of pretty much copied that. Um, so thanks, Spotify. Um, and then because of that, it means that there is some autonomy at the at the kind of squad level. This, this group. Of cross-functional group um so yeah it's, it's, it's sort of a mix yeah yeah those you know your fedex day i think i think google run a similar kind of a similar principle where they're t you know spending 10 20 percent of your time doing something you know crazy and risky well something that appears crazy and risky and seeing if it works is that is that good you know culturally my experience with developers and they love building stuff and is that is that good culturally and and helps with your recruitment and those kind of things Oh, FedEx is yes, um, uh, wonderful for us. I mean, it's 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 good in lots of different ways. We get um, innovative ideas, but and we have a bunch of internal tools actually. So um, our sound system, uh, our uh, receptionist kind of iPad, you know, check-in system, the um, the ability to be able to look anyone up uh, and within trade and sort of see their photo and where they work and and, and that sort of thing. So we we actually build, end up building a lot of scratching our own itches around internal tools. Um, but yeah, I mean, the ability to be able to bring people together from different parts of the business into teams um, around a project that, that they're, they're passionate about. Obviously, lots of good stuff flows from that. Um, and some of our squads, they do have the concept of um, a kind of twenty percent time R and D time, so part of the backlog. Um, and this is specifically in, the, in some of the mobile stuff. They might, um, you know, look at how we might do things on, on you know, with wearables or um, you know, the way we do notifications. They kind of have their own um, kind of pet projects. Which is usually after having delivered, you know, obviously a piece of functionality that we're um, that that we need that's on the roadmap, it's been prioritised. But um, yeah, the, I guess the trouble with those that, those twenty percent time gigs, um, from what I've read and in my experience, they end up being you know, hundred and twenty percent time. That twenty percent time is all that you end up doing stuff. So it's um, yeah, potentially a little bit uh, destructive, counter, you know, perhaps counterintuitive, but kind of giving people some autonomy. So, so I mean, Trade Me is New Zealand's largest marketplace, and and marketplaces seems to be you know the, the sexy business model now. You know, you got Uber, you got Airbnb, the the daily deals companies are essentially marketplaces between businesses and consumers. Why are why are marketplaces the the kind of hot business model of the last few years? Do you think? I guess they're pretty defensible once you break, you know, you've, you've got the audience size, um, it's pretty hard to to kind of knock those businesses off. The, the barriers to entry are pretty hard, and I think we've seen that with trading over the years. Um, a number of different competitors have kind of um, come in and and, um, and try to offer their own marketplaces, and it's not quite worked because they haven't had the scale. Um, that's not to say that we're, we're complacent about that stuff. Um, we are, you know, we treat those competitors with respect, but um, but yeah, I think once you've got you know, the size marketplace that we've got, um, or I'm sure that you have experienced it from your grad one days. I mean, 
back in the day, I remember looking at a website that listed all the day to deal websites and, and it was something like 170 or something. So, um, you know, over time things things shake out and you end up with, with you know, one or two or three perhaps. So, um, so yeah, I think that's what's attractive about those style businesses. Yeah, building an audience is definitely harder and more expensive than it uh, than it looks on the surface. As I, I, I used to describe it as, you know, the risk is kind of death by a thousand cuts. Um, that you know someone could come along from from a trade me context and uh, and attack your property business, and someone else comes along and attacks your car business. You know, are you conscious of of the players out there in different verticals who are who are trying to topple you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the the, the way that we structure trade me is effectively a business unit. So um, you know, the head of property, for example, is effectively the CEO of um, you know a business in its own right, and these are, these are businesses with tens of millions of dollars, so there's some pretty significant uh, teams alongside them, so they're very up to date, um, not only with what, what's happening here in New Zealand, but what's happening overseas. Um, so yeah, I've, 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 I've thoroughly enjoyed working alongside, you know, the, the head of jobs, the head of, um, head of ads, head of, head of marketplace, all those guys are, are very, very switched on and know exactly um, kind of where the competitive threats lie, or where they don't, they kind of um, have a a healthy paranoia, you know, just an understanding that, um, you know, again, if we don't disrupt ourselves, and that disruption will come from somewhere. And like an example of Tinder, that that'll, that'll that can happen very, very quickly. So, um, no, we're not complacent about that stuff, and certainly understand the marketplace, um, what what else is going on. I think pretty pretty well. Yeah, yeah, and 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 in terms of the you know the eBay and the, and the traditional marketplace where you've got you know consumers selling to other consumers. Uh, do, do you see what innovation and growth do you see in that in that kind of category? Because re- recently, talking to a lot of retailers, you know they're they're tapped out with AdWords. They're they're spending as much as they can on their on their digital and traditional channels, and they're they're always looking for new channels as well. You know what what how do marketplaces innovate in connecting you know businesses and consumers and consumers and consumers? Because you've you've got a lot of different customer types. Yeah, there's a few questions in there. Um... So there's a lot. There's okay. a lot of questions, and I'm not even sure where I was going with that one. <laughs> I think for um, traditional retailers, who perhaps um, you know a bit uh, wary of I guess some of this online stuff, where you get um, such better prices, such better um, like selection, uh, the the way that you compete is on the experience, right? So so the convenience, the ability to be able to touch a fabric. Um, sort of interesting, this was a couple of years ago, but I was reflecting that, you know, you look on Cuba Street, you've got um, one of these cosmic corner places um, that had a DJ, right? So you go and you buy clothes and postcards and get a coffee and listen to a DJ. Um, you've got uh, Mighty Mighty at the time, which was running a night market or, a, um, you know, a, a drawing class at the same time as being a pub. Uh, you've got a, a cafe on the corner that's also you know, running out of a caravan that's where you can also buy plants. But when you kind of um, start you know, combining um, that sort of stuff, that's really hard to beat uh, online. You know, that kind of sense of um, camaraderie and community and the kind of uh, the real life experience that you get. So I think that's how offline um, retailers can, can potentially compete. They certainly might be able to compete in the same way on, on price and selection. Um, in terms of uh, you know some of the innovations that you see overseas, um, it's funny that you, you see trying the, the eBay's trying out things like eBay Now or eBay Valet, where you can kind of you know grab your phone and take a photo of whatever it is that you're looking to sell, and then someone um, either a human or a machine tries to figure out well, what's the price for that thing, and they'll go ahead and list it for you. So it's simple kind of 
Tinder style, one click interaction, one swipe interaction, take a photo of a thing, someone else lists it for you. Um, and eBay now is, is this, this service where you get the thing that you've ordered within four hours. So, um, you know, not only same day delivery, but same afternoon delivery. So that, that's kind of interesting to see um, the, the likes of the big e-commerce uh, companies trying to compete with the real local uh, retailers on, on things like convenience. Um, so yeah, it's a really, really, really interesting um, kind of dynamic. My, my wife um, bought a, uh, she's got a new iPhone, bought an iPhone case uh, from somewhere on eBay, which of course she shouldn't be doing being my of wife. Of course, that's that's uh, terrible. That's against the rules. Um, so she bought it for $1.70 shipped from Hong Kong. And um, and she was bragging about how cheap this thing was. And, and, uh, and of course it takes six weeks to get to her. Uh, and then it gets to her, she goes to put it on the phone and it cracks um, as she's trying to wrestle the phone into the case. Um, so she ends up buying a case off Trade Me and spends a little bit more, not that much more. Um, but I, I think that's kind of the, you know, the interesting dynamic of, of international e-commerce is that you, yeah, sometimes you are having to wait. Sometimes you, you might get the thing cheap, but it arrives and it's not the quality that you want. So yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating time, I think, in, um, in e-commerce in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I ordered a jacket off the um, off the iconic on on Sunday, and it's shipped mm-hmm. from the UK and and lands on my doorstep on on Wednesday morning. Um, right. So I'm I'm buying off an Australian based website from a UK based retailer, um, who has free returns for a hundred days. So how, I mean, how, how do retailers in New Zealand compete with that? Because it, it seems that some of them are are still looking down the street rather than you know across the world. Is it, yeah. is it is it is it delivering that experience? Do you know and and removing the risk for the customer? Yeah, I think um, yeah. So a lot of it's the sort of like the there's risk in what you just did, right? So you you bought that jacket, um, you haven't tried it on presumably unless you tried it on here in the showroom. Then. Um, so so you've you've sort of gone okay, I'm comfortable with the level of risk that that, that entails, um, or perhaps not not risk if you need to return it, um, but you, you've got an inconvenience if it's not quite right and you have to return it. Um, so I guess again, that's where local retailers can can compete. Um, you know, if you if you are looking to hang a, a heavy mirror and want a stud finder, you, are you going to really go to Amazon and kind of wait for the shipping, even kind of uh, international shipping? This is a, this is not a bad story. This is something that I did. Um, I did actually wait for Amazon because it ended up being cheaper and they could get to me in whatever it was four days, uh, and it was still cheaper than my ten. Um, but but yeah, that's the kind of thing that, you know, sometimes you want stuff now. Um, the other thing to, to think about too is there is, um, for some people at least, there is entertainment in shopping. So, uh, and that, that can actually take a couple of different forms, right? It can be that it's, it's you and your mates and you, and you start out at brunch at a cafe and you kind of spend, spend the day kind of trying clothes on or, or whatever. Um, but you can also have that sense of entertainment online, that sense of discovery and serendipity. Um, and again, many of the e-commerce sites are trying to encourage um, that kind of stuff with curated collections, and you know, you see the likes of um, what's it, ASOS that do a kind of a, you know, trying to promote local kind of quirky, um, you know, uh, retailers and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so it's sort of there's there's very much a blurring, in my opinion, of this kind of um, you know, off, online and offline, and and, and feels like um, we're reading one another's playbooks and, and trying to do what the other one does. Yeah. Yeah, the, mentioning Amazon, obviously they're 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 moving into Australia with with eBooks. Um, I noticed them storming up the 
the, some of the latest Nielsen numbers in terms of New Zealand visitors. Are they are they a threat to to trade me and and, and other retailers and, and marketplaces in New Zealand? Yeah, I mean, I think um, in terms of trade, we we consider ourselves behind in terms of that e-commerce functionality. When you compare us, um, you know, to the likes of Book Depository or um, or ASOS or uh, uh, Amazon, we we don't sort of offer that same because we're a marketplace um, where we are, you know, not just doing new goods, we're also doing used goods. Um, so that that is a, a challenge for us is how we need to up our game in terms of um, you know. Well, all sorts of different things from the quality of the photos, the way we do ship, shipping and handle returns and guarantees and, and things like that. So um, it's it's a it's it's, a, it's sort of an, an exciting threat. Um, you know, we sort of have seen our, our market shares sort of uh, even away a little bit. People don't necessarily think of, of trading for new goods, even though um, you know people buy you know as many new goods as they use goods on trading. Um, but it's actually really really. Good for us to have a really um, good, healthy sense of competition in the sense that, um, you know, that, that we do need to up our game. So certainly for us, it's a real catalyst and, and something which is, um, I think, a good thing. Uh, in terms of other online retailers, so I guess um, it sort of feels like across the board, New Zealand's raised its game. Um, part of the reason that trading was successful, has been so successful, is that, you know, even five years ago, there wasn't a rebel sport, um, you know, website, there wasn't a, a a trade, uh, sorry, a warehouse website. It was sort of e-commerce in New Zealand was a little bit of a wasteland. Um, so yeah, I, I think those guys hold more than all their own now. So I'm not sure how they're doing uh, the Amazon entry into the market. I would think that, I would hope that that would mean that they would be against one ways that they might be able to compete with Amazon. You know, things like click and collect at the, for the warehouse, um, you know, all those kind of things. It's hard for Amazon to, to replicate that sort of thing. So yeah, so oh, it's like a, it's a tremendously exciting time. Um, and I see, you know, that sort of stuff is, is good for consumers here in New Zealand and, and good for competition and good for just the e-commerce landscape in general. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. And and the beautiful thing about digital is you can watch watch from afar what other people are doing and uh, and borrow borrow the right ideas. Cool. There's nothing wrong with uh, there's nothing wrong with borrowing them. You, you spend a bit of time at Vend. Uh, how, how does the approach from a you know a, a software or a SaaS company differ to to a marketplace or a, or a consumer company? Um, so SaaS is um, well, it certainly feels like a different business model. It's it's all about feeding the, the engine. So um, JC, who's the uh, head of sales at, at Vend um, and, a, and a maths geek, in fact a chess wizard, um, no less, um, is super sharp guy, and he kind of. Um, Pioneer for Vend's, the, the, I guess the business model. What happens when you add extra, um, you know, customer success managers? What happens when you, you know, do activity Y and they could, you know, prove that with one X you got two X or three X out the other end? So hence the ability to be able to um, raise a decent chunk of um, of funding. Um, so yeah, that's, that's sort of sort of the difference. I guess they're, they're pre um, pre profit. Um, they're, they're going through the much more typical VC rounds. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit different the, the kind of measures that they care about. The kind of growth that I mean, it's massive growth. It's um, yeah, phenomenal. So so yeah, so it sort of feels like quite a different different business. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're definitely um, they're definitely hoovering up good people in Auckland. I can I can tell you that from experience, recent experience. Yeah, they know how to hire. Yeah. Can you give us a, a little bit of a tidbit of of kind of what's next for Trade Me? You know, what's on what's on the roadmap? 
Um, so one of the one of the big things we're doing at the moment, which is not necessarily something that you'll see the benefit of straight away, is kind of re-architecting the, the front end of trading. So uh, it's a 16-year-old code base. It's all written in .NET. Um, uh, but thankfully, over the last couple of years, we've really beefed up our API, um, mainly because of the mobile products um, having to kind of plug in um, to the trading platform. So we are replacing all that .NET code with Angular, um, so moving to a more responsive uh, framework and also being able to um, work not only faster, but um, I guess we don't have to code so defensively. So that's, um, that's going to be really good news. That means that the productivity of our teams will, will really lift. That's still quite a while away. It's, um, as you can imagine, a massive project to completely rewrite the front end of trading. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Um, working on a new homepage at the moment, so um, the current homepage um, while it's certainly very highly trafficked, um, doesn't work as well as it should. And anyone who's sort of seen that featured listings, you know, where uh, people pay to be on our homepage, um, which is fine. It's obviously a revenue opportunity for trading, but from a user experience point of view, I don't know the last time you bought uh, a horse float or an excavator or a giant roll of toilet paper or some anti-wrinkle cream, uh, but your homepage is the exact homepage as my homepage. That just makes no sense in this day and age. It should be personalised. Um, so we're doing a lot of work around that stuff, which is, um, uh, again, very exciting. So, yeah, lots lots of different things going on. Um, obviously, looking at the wearables um, side of things. But, um, yeah, mobile apps keep, keep um, improving and getting better. Yeah. And... Is there... Um... You know, with, with such a, a highly trafficked website, and you know, it, it, it's genuinely an institution now. You know, what are the risks around you, you know change? It's it's kind of like you know putting the AIG logo on the front of the All Blacks if you if you change the homepage of Trade Me, isn't it? Is there is there uh, going to be an outcry on the front of the New Zealand Herald? Oh, I don't know about the front of the New Zealand Herald. I'm sure that will have a few disgruntled um, uh, members, but um, no, look, I think the key with change. Um, so it's, it makes sense, right? So it's it's loss aversion at, at the end of the day. We, we, we don't want things to change. We've got status quo bias because of loss aversion. We've got, uh, you know, we're hardwired to um, think that we're missing out. So the way to get around that is to, um, is to make sure that you're adding more value. Um, so for example, with this new homepage, you might be freaking out going, hey, the design's changed, but what if we gave you a watch list right there and then, which is one of the most, well, in fact, the most, um, Know, uh, likely next step for people from the trainings but uh, from the homepage is to go to the watch list. So I think so long as you're adding extra value, um, that's the key for um, you know good change management. Now that's not to say that we won't get the outcry. Of course we will, but um, but that's that's okay. I mean we've got um, you know 20, 23 million page views a month um, on our homepage. So you, even if you get just you know. One in a thousand people you know, upset. Uh, that still adds up to a large overall number. So, so I think the thing with, with some of these kind of changes too is you have to go with your you know, conviction, with your gut. I mean, you know, uh, Facebook put out their new news feed. It was, you know, it was the end of the world, and, and now of course we always said that that was a great design change. Sure. Yeah. You can you can only do so much testing, can't can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's true. I mean, um, and we certainly try and uh, and and will will do with the with the homepage is um, you know a real mix of you know qualitative usability testing as well as the more um, quantitative A/B testing to kind of you know, make sure that what people say and what they do kind of marry up um, that we can kind of uh, yeah provably you know, demonstrate um, the A/B B. Yeah. What What's your What's your philosophy around around testing? I've I've 
I've noticed a couple of people recently, you know, A-B testing and conversion optimization is definitely uh, a, a thing in the, in the last couple of years. It's, it's become more mainstream with tools like Optimizely and, and things like that. I've, I've seen a few businesses, you know, kind of hold back innovation based on, you know, testing too many things and it gives them a... Do, do you see those kind of those kind of trends in smaller businesses or, or, or people that you come into contact with? I guess, um, I mean, that makes some sense, right? What you do is you, you optimise to a local maximum rather than jumping to the next mountain um, uh, and trying to, try to climb that. You, 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 you get better and better at the, the, the hill you're currently climbing. Um, so I think that's, that's what we've tried to do at Trading is you do the innovation first. Um, you know, the, the ideas that uh, we actually followed Google's design sprint. Um, I don't know if you've read about that. Uh, as, as a way, in, in four days, there were nine of us that, um, that kind of recreated Trading's homepage. We were literally usability testing um, with seven participants on that final fourth day. Um, so you do all that innovation stuff up front and then you A-B test that. That's sort of my um, philosophy on some of that sort of stuff. Yeah, you can go too, too far, you know, the classic, it's a bit old now, but the poster and the um, Dan, you know, the, the Google designer who, you know, 100 different shades of blue. Um, I can sort of see why why that would be frustrating for a designer, um, and and why you again you have to kind of get to the to the highest local hill rather than jumping to the next mountain. Um, we we think about I guess is is it's not everything that's that's important can be measured, and not everything that can be measured is important. So you you rather than rather than trying to create a data driven culture, I'm, I'm much more in favour of creating a data informed culture so that we make um, you know, good decisions uh, based on the data that we have, but we but we use that as one, uh, you know, one data point. Interesting uh, counts for a lot too. Well, it's great to hear your uh, your insights and how you approach it. And it's, as I said, Trade Me is a bit of an institution, so it's something that people pay attention to when they're looking at digital products or innovation. So, so thanks for your time. How do, how will people get in touch with you if they want to uh, if they want to if they want to connect? Uh, they can tweet me at Trent Manklow, um, or they can always email me uh, trent.manklow at trademe.co.nz. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Growth NZ Show. To find show notes for this episode, head over to growthhq.co.nz. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can leave a review in iTunes. I sure would appreciate it.